Welcome to the What's Important Now broadcast. In America today, we are witnessing a cultural shift. This is the show devoted to the battle for the soul of our country. Join our host, Tom Sears, as he explains the issues of our day and join the fight to bring values and morality back. Let's join Tom now as he shares What's Important Now. Isaiah 59, 14 says, In judgment is turned away backwards, and justice stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. I want to thank you for being a part of our program today, and I want you to think on that scripture because it represents what our focus uh, will be on the program. Again, welcome inside of this edition of What's Important Now. I'm Tom Sears. And as always, it is my true honor to be here spending this time with you. Check us out online at whatsimportantnowradio.com and email us at whatsimportantnowradio at gmail.com. Our mailing address is 8901 Good Hope Pike, Lost Creek, West Virginia, 26385. Also, and this is very important, Subscribe to our podcast. If you are an FM listener, you need to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with any content that may not make its way to FM radio. You can subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. You can go to Spreaker, Anchor, Spotify, Podpoint. It really doesn't matter. We're literally on any pod, pa, podcast platform, excuse me, that exists. We're on them all. So check us out. All right, let's get started here. Have you ever poured a glass of milk? Or maybe you are the drink from the carton or gallon type. But however you drink it, you take a big old swig, only to find that the milk is spoiled. Yeah, I know it's a nasty thought, right? And if it's happened to you, you especially know how nasty it is. Well, when that happens, most people immediately begin to spit it out. I mean, I don't know anyone that swallows it and says, hmm, that was good. I guess those people exist. I mean, they probably do, but I just don't know them. Anyway, the point is the milk was once good. You used it for cereals, for oatmeals, for meal preparation, coffee, whatever, right? The point, again, is that the milk was good. At one time, the milk did what it was supposed to do. But then it was spoiled, and it turned bad. America is much like that milk. We were once good, not perfect, but good. We followed the ways of God and we were dedicated to his purposes. But just like that milk, we spoiled. And just like the spoiled milk that we would taste and then spit out, God has no taste for what he sees in America today. I want to talk to you today about the consequences of turning away from God. And I want to look at it historically and, of course, biblically. 
I want to offer that contrary to what some say or think, God doesn't always just rain down fire and brimstone. There are other consequences first. Wrath is different than judgment. Wrath will bring utter destruction, but judgment will bring about consequences meant to turn us away from wrath. I mean, judgment is meant to cause us to repent and then to return to God. Now, I want to offer to you today the first consequence of turning away from God is not the economy crashing, although it's likely to hurt most people more than anything. It's not losing our military might, and it's not the disappearance of arts and entertainment, but rather the first thing to go is justice. When people begin to turn away from God, they do so because they prefer living for themselves. Their pursuit is now money and power and prestige. And you know what? Many of them find it. I've read many instances in the Bible where God allowed people to have exactly what they wanted. And of course, what they didn't realize is that in attaining what they want, they end up paying a price they were unaware of. Uh, For instance, the all-out pursuit of money and power will have a secondary consequence of forfeiting justice and righteousness. Now, unfortunately, this is where the first church of assumption steps in with their chorus of, but we are a praying nation and we have evangelized the world. Well, let me be the guest speaker today at the first church of assumption. And my sermon would go something like this. We are a nation that has churches everywhere. We are a nation where people gather and pray and sing and worship, and we're even a nation where we still read our Bibles. And yet, at the same time, we are kicking back with our feet up, drinking a tall glass of strong delusion while living double lives and carnal lives. You know, there is a separation ladies and gentlemen, between who we are at church and then who we are in public. Now, for many years, people have been doing their best tightrope walk, trying to have as much of the world while still claiming Christianity. Yet the Bible says to come out from among them and be a separate people. Holiness still matters and is still required. So let me say this. If you are debating holiness because you're trying to uh, prove that you can do something that isn't, you know, that you're trying to argue what sin is, you're trying to walk that tight rope, so to speak, I would argue that your focus is not on pleasing God, but rather on finding a way to live for yourself, to fit in, to get along. Well, my Bible tells me that we are not called to fit in. We are supposed to be proof that there is a God and that there is a better way to live. Now, enough for the sermon. Justice is the first thing to depart when people turn away from God. When justice departs, values no longer matter. Godliness, holiness, 
purity, character, morality, and righteousness no longer hold value in that person's life. It's the great reversal. God will, or excuse me, good will be called evil and evil will be called, yeah, you got it, good. The first is the last and the last is the first and an exchange has taken place. Values have been exchanged for notoriety, prestige, power, and money. Now, a study of the Bible proves that God empowers godly leaders. But if leaders fail to be godly, then everything around them is going to fail. It's going to fall. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, that according to the Bible, God has delegated authority of nations to leaders. And if leaders fail to be godly, then the nation will begin to enact godly, or excuse me, ungodly rules and laws. And that nation will be judged for that because it did not carry out godly ways. Now, this is especially true for America. Now, George Washington, by all accounts, was a man who loved God. We know that he was supernaturally empowered to bring victory to America during the Revolutionary War. Ladies and gentlemen, a study of history proves that our victory was supernatural. As Benjamin Franklin said, the hand of our friend was definitely involved. God governs in the affairs of men. We also know that George Washington dedicated the nation to God. So America was given back to God. God gave America to the people and godly leadership gave it back to him. It's just like saying we have been given this gift, but you know what? We give it to you for your purposes. We are giving it back so that your plan can come forth. Now, through our history, we have begun to use this nation for our own selfish ambition. What we see today, ladies and gentlemen, is not new. America has been turning from God for some time. It's not happening overnight. I believe it's the Casting Crowns song that says it's a slow fade. But the truth is, things are getting worse. One reason is because our youth are no longer being trained in the way they should go. Rather, there are in many cases, they are left to their own devices. We are raising an anything-goes generation, and it shows. Now the church is supposed to have the answer, yet we don't offer it. The reason is because we have become part of the problem. We are caught up in secularism, and the culture of the nation has crept into the church instead of the godly culture of the church getting into the nation. If you take a look back to the opening scripture reference that I mentioned from Isaiah 59, 14, you find what the Bible says. And I, I pulled up some commentary from the pulpit commentary that says this about that scripture. Verse 14, judgment is turned away backward. The pulpit commentary says, in conclusion, the crying sin of perversion of justice is admitted with much amplification. Right judgment is exactly inverted. The innocent are condemned and the guilty are acquitted. Justice stands afar off. 
too far off to be able to hear those who make an appeal to it. The truth is fallen in the street. An example, false witnesses prevail over the truth uh, in courts of justice. So, you know, false witness lies, bearing false witness, it overcomes the truth in courts. And equality cannot, or excuse me, equity cannot enter. It's not admitted inside the court system. It waits outside. Now, is it just me or does this sound just like America today? I can't even count how many people over the last couple of years have said something like, I can't believe this is happening in America. Well, it is hard to understand, especially when looking through our own our own eyes or the lens of the way we see things, but we look at it biblically and we see something far different. It's not difficult to see. The Bible warns us of these things, and when we lose sight of what is important, we start seeing things differently. Our values change. Now, I want you to think of this. The way we see the family structure in America has changed. The Bible outlines what a biblical family structure is. And then, of course, we have what we see today. There was a study that was conducted by the Heritage Foundation that shows that violent crime is directly associated with the breakdown of marriage, the breakdown of the family, and the breakdown in the communities. And once again, the breakdown is caused because someone was seeking selfish desires. But here are the statistics from that study. Over the past 30 years, the rise in violent crime parallels the rise in families abandoned by fathers. High crime neighborhoods are characterized by high concentrations of families abandoned by fathers. State-by-state analysis by heritage scholars indicates that a 10% increase in the percentage of children living in single-parent homes leads typically to a 17% increase in juvenile crime. The rate of violent teenage crime corresponds with the number of families abandoned by fathers. The type of aggression and hostility that is demonstrated by a future criminal often is foreshadowed in unusual aggressiveness as early as age five or six. The future criminal tends to be an individual rejected by other children as early as the first grade who goes on to form his own group of friends, often the future delinquent gang. Now, the study also includes, and I, I found this interesting, neighborhoods with a high degree of religious practice are not high-crime neighborhoods. Even in high-crime inner-city neighborhoods, well over 90% of children from safe, stable homes do not become delinquents. By contrast, only 10% of children from unsafe, unstable homes in these neighborhoods actually avoid crime. 
Now, criminals capable of sustaining marriage gradually move away from the life of crime after they get married. And the mother's strong, affectionate attachment to her child is the child's best buffer against a life of crime. And it's also proven that the father's authority and involvement in raising his children are also a great buffer against a life of crime. Now, Heritage concluded that the scholarly evidence in short, suggest that at the heart of the explosion of crime in America is the loss of the capacity of fathers and mothers to be responsible in caring for the children they bring into this world. This loss of love and guidance uh, at the intimate levels of marriage and family has broad social consequences for children and for the wider community. Now, this empirical evidence shows that too many young men and women from broken families tend to have a much weaker sense of connection with their neighborhood and are prone to exploit its members to satisfy their unmet needs or desires. Now, this contributes to a loss of a sense of community and to the, uh, the tearing down of neighborhoods into social chaos and violent crime. Now, if policymakers are to deal with the root causes of crime, therefore they must deal with the rapid rise of illegitimacy. Now, we're going to take a deeper, more detailed look at this data and this study on a later program. But for the purposes of today's program, we can conclude that as people reject the ways of God and his plan to pursue their own selfish desires, the youth of our nation are suffering and justice is standing afar off. Now, again, when we turn from God, the first thing to depart is justice. You know, politicians and political leaders, they claim that they want to bring justice back to America. They have their own definition of what justice is. But if justice is not coming from Scripture, it is not justice at all. The Bible promotes the idea of reaping and sowing or conse consequential judgment. You know, the reaping is brought about by the sowing, and it's simply cause and effect. To explain, although this is not a program on economic catastrophe, the truth is, is if a nation sows debt, it reaps financial chaos. The point is, if we forsake God, there are consequences. Now, I always like to look back at what our founders had to say. Remember I said that when we start pursuing money and power, we forsake justice or what is right. Did you know that Benjamin Franklin actually proposed that lawmakers not get paid? During the uh, Constitu Constitutional Convention in 1787, Benjamin Franklin rose to make a radical proposal. You know what it was? He said that there should be no salary given to lawmakers. Here's what he said, quote, Sir, there are two passions which have a powerful influence in the affairs of men. These are ambition, the love of power, and the love of money. Separately, each of these has great force in prompting men to action. But when united in the view of the same object, they have, in many minds, the most violent effects, end of quote. Now, he uses this word ambition and avarice, 
And avarice means extreme greed for wealth or material gain. And he warned that if lawmakers got paid, they would think more of money than justice. And and I would offer that that, that is actually true. If you look at our leaders today, many will leave Congress extremely wealthy. They didn't enter Congress wealthy, but they leave wealthy. Why? Because special interest groups pay them to support their causes. It is really that simple. Justice has departed. Now, many of Franklin's counterparts disagreed with him, and yet he went on to say, quote, Besides these evils, sir, Though we may set out in the beginning with moderate salaries, we shall find that such will not be a long continuance. Reasons will ever be wanting for proposed augmentations, and there will always be a party for giving more to the rulers, that the rulers may be able in return to give more to them. Hence, as all history informs us, there has been in every state and kingdom a constant kind of warfare between the governing and the governed, the one striving to obtain more for its support and the other to pay less. And this has alone occasioned great convulsions, actual civil wars, ending either in dethroning of the princes or enslaving of the people. End of quote. Today, ladies and gentlemen, the regular members of the House of Representatives and Senate receive an annual salary of $174,000 plus pension, health care benefits. They also receive an allowance to defray the cost of doing official business, their office at the Capitol, their home office, their travel back and forth to their home district and to D.C., they also have money allotted for staff salaries and other representational duties. Now, these annual allowances start at over $1.2 million for a representative and $2.9 million for a senator. Now, it's clear Benjamin Franklin was correct. We were also warned about political parties. And, you know, there is a clear divide in Washington. Justice doesn't matter anymore political party matters. Almost a decade after Franklin's prophetic warning, George Washington was coming to the end of his second term as president. Now, a great deal of his now famous farewell address consists in a warning about factions dividing the unity of the United States government. He said, quote, the unity of government which constitutes you one people is also now dear to you. It is justly so. For it is a main pillar for the edifice of your real independence, the support of your tranquility at home, your peace abroad, of your safety, of your prosperity, of that very liberty which you so highly prize. End of quote. The threat to this unity would come from factions. This is what Washington predicted. He went on to say, quote, Designing men may endeavor to excite a belief that there is a real difference of local interest and views. One of the expedients of party is to acquire influence within particular districts is to misrepresent the opinions and aims of other districts. 
you cannot shield yourselves too much against the jealousies and heartburnings which spring from these misrepresentations. They tend to render alien to each other those who ought to be bound together by fraternal affection. End of quote. Washington described this fatal tendency that would put in the place of the delegated will of the nation the will of the party, often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community, and according to the alternate triumphs of different parties to make the public administration the mirror of the ill-concerted and incongruous projects of faction. Rather, the organ of consistent and wholesome plans digested by common councils and modified by mutual interest. He went on to say, quote, however combinations or associations of the above description may now and then answer popular ends, they are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. Mr. President, well said. Political party today matters more than justice. Justice has fled and is standing afar off. But before I move past George Washington's words on political party, listen to these words here because they are the most telling. Quote, it serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one part against another, foments occasionally riot and insurrection. It opens the door to foreign influence and corruption, which finds a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions. Thus, the policy and the will of one country are subjected to the policy and will of another. End of quote. Did you hear that? The wisdom of this man, George Washington. Wow. I mean, I believe he was the mouthpiece of God warning future generations. Now, with that said, he warned that it would create a scenario where one party stood against the other and that the corruption would run wild, he warned that riots and insurrections would follow. Did he ever hit the nail on the head? Wow. Well, let's take a look at one more founding father, Thomas Jefferson. He had some things to say about religious liberty. You know, the same Thomas Jefferson that was taken out of context in his wall of separation of church and state comment, Christianity is the buffer ladies and gentlemen, against the evils of the world. And that is why there is a movement to remove it. In the minds of so many, without rules, there are no consequences. And although we know that's not true, nonetheless, this is what they promote. And Jefferson said this about religious freedom. In response to the Alien and Sedition Acts, Jefferson authored the Kentucky Resolution of 1798, which from the following passage is taken, quote, and that in addition to this general principle and express declaration, 
another and more special provision has been made by one of the amendments to the Constitution, which expressly declares that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, thereby guarding in the same sentence and under the same words the freedom of religion, of speech, and of the press, insomuch that whatever violated either throws down the sanctuary which covers the others, arid the libels, falsehood, and defamation equally with heresy and false religion are withheld from the cognizance of federal tribunals. End of quote. Now, according to Paul Nowick, Jefferson believed that the freedoms guaranteed by the First Amendment would survive or fail together, should any one of them become infringed upon by the government, and that included the government being interdicted by the Constitution from intermeddling with religious institutions, their doctrines, disciplines, or exercises. In our country today, there are frequent enough stories of children in schools being told they cannot pray. The question of whether the federal government may require an individual or their business to alter their faith-guided practices or act against the doctrines of the faith they profess. Now, ironically, Jefferson's own words about a wall of separation are used by the governing powers to weaken and remove the fence of religious freedom. The metaphor has become more powerful than the meaning. In Jefferson's opinion, if we lose the protection of religious freedom, we will quickly lose the freedom of speech and the press. And, you know, it's been dismissed, his predictions, the predictions of Franklin and Washington, and yet we can see so clearly that we have been brought to a place where the things that were warned are actually happening. And the same is true with Jefferson. Religious freedom has been under attack for some time in this country, and we are now seeing the freedom of speech and freedom of press also coming under attack. These things should not surprise us. Justice is nowhere to be found. We are a nation that is hungry for righteousness, and we don't know it. We are searching to fill the void that we fill by another means. And it may be a political candidate or a political party or a political idea. But the only way to bring justice back is to return to God. Until then, you will witness more issues and more problems. And remember, when the people turn from God, the first thing to go is justice, but it's not the last thing. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, I want to encourage you to fight the good fight of faith, to contend for the faith. There is a cause. It does matter, and it is important now. I'm Tom Sears. This has been What's Important Now. Take care.